0: Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Today on the program, we are talking about virtual events. But it didn't set out to be a virtual event. But given everything that is going on, uh, I am pleased to be joined by the team from ScienceLogic, who was getting ready for their annual user conference, which is a big event and something that, as you can relate, every marketing team puts a tremendous amount of effort into. And then things changed in our world, as you know, and they pivoted and went virtual, which is a great story and some Changes to the future just based on what happens. So again, thanks uh, for joining me. Murli Namani, the Chief Marketing Officer from ScienceLogic and a key member of his team, Matty Weber, who is responsible for their events. Good afternoon, you guys. Good afternoon, David. Pleasure to be here.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: I, uh, I just want to salute you and say how proud I am of you guys, not only for pulling off a successful event as people will hear and all the learnings that came from it, but just for your passion for events, because I have to tell you a short story, which is it was the annual user conference that led to the beginning of DemandGen. And uh, you guys know a little bit of that story. So I, when I ran marketing at Ellie Mae, I had never done a multi-day conference in my career. I'd somehow escaped that. Um, but we did the very first one for Ellie Mae. And there's two things that I remember. One was... I was standing backstage with our CEO at the time, Sig Anderman, and he was getting his lavalier on, right? It was a keynote, it was the opening, and I had built all of his slides with our agency and he was super excited, but he was not, you know, that person who really liked public speaking, being on stage. It was very nervous for him, even though he's an incredibly successful entrepreneur and business leader. That format, and I'm sure you guys can relate, was not his comfort zone. So I was trying to put his mind at ease. And he said to me one thing that I'll never forget. He goes, so um, we're kicking off in a couple minutes, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, so about a half hour ago, before I came backstage, no one was in any of the seats yet. I'm like, mm-hmm, <laughs> uh-huh. that's San Francisco, and we're starting at nine o'clock. And he goes, so Dave, when I open the curtain, I just want you to know, like, if every seat's not full, you're in trouble. And I'm like, <laughs> great. And I, I literally, I wasn't stressed about anything else. Well, I was stressed about everything, but now my focus became like about my career and butts in, in seats and I go sick. That's a great story. Just by the noise level, I think you're gonna be okay. So the only thing you should be worried about right now is is that uh, what you're going to share with all of them and I think you're well prepared for that he goes oh no I'm nervous so that that was that's the the front of that story the back of that story as I share with you guys the other day was when we were having an executive team meeting and they said to me Dave the user conference was such a great success isn't it start to uh, isn't it time to start planning next year's event and that's when I said in the back of my mind yeah and I'm resigning on friday <laughs> Uh, because I did not want to do it again. I had been working for about three months on the the business plan for DemandGen, and I needed a trigger. I needed a time for it to uh, happen. And and the thought of like abandoning them in the middle of that project was just not going to happen. So, that that's my that's my no, that's user awesome. conference story. Yeah, it's
2: it's, it's actually a similar in that Maddie comes to me right after our user conference and she's like, <laughs> um, "Let's talk." I mean, this is like three weeks after she goes. Let's talk about twenty twenty one. And I was like, "No, no, no." <laughs>
0: yeah, let, let <laughs> i still come come
1: Gotta uh, start early.
0: So, share with us, guys. Take us back uh, in time to the lead up of the conference and your vision for the conference and what you really wanted to try to achieve. Because I think it's important for us to start there before we talk about the virtual aspects of it. And then what happened and how you made the decision when you made the decision and the pivot that you took place. So Merley or Maddie, yeah, what absolutely. happened?
2: I'll, I'll kick it off, Maddie, and you jump in. Um, so usually our conferences, uh, this is our user conference and um, it's often really hard to get our users to all gather because they are, we're an internet. You know, we are a global company, and so we have people from all around the world. Uh, so we have two challenges. One is, uh, you know, w- w- let's start with why we do it. We do it because it's a, it's a, it's probably the single biggest way to drive retention and upsell and expansion. Right? Um, it's not necessarily a net new prospecting, going after new leads. I wish it were, where we could invite more of the prospect. Which has become a goal to get more of those going, but the core base is this is our base of our customers, and these are the people that that we want to protect and and become evangelists and and share and expand by more. That's why we do it. Um, it's proven to be in- incredibly successful. Last year was a sort of a, a, a pivotal year where we truly. Uh, blew out all expectations of, of uh, what a great user conference experience. Uh, we had it at the Ritz Carlton in in Washington, D.C. Maddie and okay. the team really just knocked it out of the park. But and, and the way it was done, it was incredibly rich content, meaningful content. When We had a, a goal for trying to get our customers to be 40 to 50% of the sessions were customer driven and not driven by science logic. We achieved a lot of that and our customer stories led with customer stories of how they're solving problems and so forth. Um, but the venue, the, the speaker lineup, the content, the experience, just in that intimacy of getting to know each other. And there was a particular moment where we'll come back to this is that the opportunity to meet our product managers, to go up to the pro, the guy or the gal who who's designing that particular feature and then be able to say I have a problem and then the excitement that comes out of that engagement where the customer was able to meet the person who designed the product to show them how best to use that feature to solve a problem that is just you can't put you can't put a value on that right so and that is why we do these things now having said that you know with this year was we were going to do it even bigger we were essentially targeting for um a user conference that we thought we could get about, um, 500 people, um, of that size of our customers to come in. Um, and then ultimately, um, you know, we, we were, we were on, on schedule or scale. And, and this is where maybe Maddie, you can pick up six weeks in, uh, six weeks to the date of the conference. You know, obviously COVID-19 happens. And so why don't you pick up from here?
1: Sure. So, yeah, our so our conference is typically in the spring. Um, this year it was scheduled for mid to late April. So obviously early March is when you know, COVID-19 really started hitting the U.S. um, and people started getting concerned. We started to see some cancellations. Um, Things were really changing every day. (laughs) Um, uh, You know, you know, we come up with a plan and then we'd have to pivot again. So um, we came up with lots of contingency plans um, and trying to figure out the best way to get, you know, do we go completely virtual? Do we do a hybrid event? Um, And then, of course, given the situation, um, it got to the point where we had to go completely virtual and we felt it important to still have a customer symposium and have um, share the content with our customers during this time versus just completely canceling. We didn't want to lose, you know, we had kind of <laughs> already planned the event to about 85%. So we figured um, we didn't want to lose that momentum and all the work we had done. So we decided to go virtual. And then once we kind of as a marketing team made that decision, we had to, you know, align that with the rest of the company and the executive team and kind of really get everybody on board and really Try to get everybody to understand what that was going to mean and and what that event was going to look like in, in March. And it was a very quick timeline. I and mean, it was about six weeks from when we made the decision to when we had to um, when the event went live.
0: When when you made that decision, what Maddie? You've been doing events practically your whole career, right? Yes. This, this is not your first rodeo. So <laughs> and, and and if I ever do events, you know, I'll be I'll be asking you for advice <laughs> on on how to do it because it's it's as I said, it's super it's stressful enough. But now you make this decision that this is the right thing to do for the safety of the attendees, as well as it's just what's probably needed inside the environment. And you add tremendous new technical challenges, logistics challenges, things that maybe the organization has never done before. Like just for the three of us to do this podcast, to give a little bit of of eye-opening, right? Right. Um, it's not video right now. So as I've launched a TV on YouTube, come back to that in, uh, later on in the episode, but it's just audio. So the only thing I worry about is, you know, does Merle have a, a good microphone? Which you do, thank you. Does Maddie have a good microphone? Which she does. And, and I definitely show up with a good microphone. But you said, even just coming into it, you say, hey, it turns out that, you know, the platform we use is incompatible with Safari, right? And so like in real time, you had to decide, okay, I'm going to try a different browser and see if that works. Right for this podcast, which is recorded and later live, but you guys didn't do everything recorded. You will get to that. You did live, so there's all these technical challenges. How, what what's going through your mind when you're now thinking enough about just delivering the content and getting butts in seats, but now some of those technical challenges that um, you're faced with, and even having picking picking platforms, which you, which you did right in the kind of last right up into you know right before you're physical event, you're saying, wow, now I got to get another platform piece of technology to enable this to happen uh, online. What was that like?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was very quick. Um, We had to vet a vendor within a week, uh, get demos, make sure it integrated with our current registration system, make sure it was seamless kind of all the way through from the customer perspective, and then make sure it had the capabilities that we um, needed from a recording aspect, from webcast recording aspect, and had the support that we needed in order to still, you know. You know, as we were still planning the virtual event, having to decide on a vendor that we, you know, could anticipate that things, we, you know, we added a lot of things as we went. Um, and luckily we picked a vendor that was very full service and we were able to make those changes as we went um, and it worked out for us. But it was very quick, a very quick process in getting all of that, those details together and making sure we made the right decision.
2: Yeah, six weeks prior. I mean, this is the situation, David. I mean, uh, six weeks prior to the event, we're all set. Eighty-five percent of all the planning is done. Everything is locked and loaded. We had significant budget commitments and all those kind of things. And so now we're in that position. And and I'm looking at my my CEO's looking at me, going, "What do we do?" And um, this is the single biggest sales initiative that we of the year, right? And uh, um, and so in that sense, uh, I was in the position of saying. We've never tried this platform. We've never worked in this environment. There's so many variables. I don't even know what. And what I was fundamentally afraid of is compromising the brand and compromising Mm -hmm. the customer experience, or in this case, the user experience. And we've built up so much credibility over the last two, three years of making sure that everyone who comes to this, to this user conference walks away as absolute, ev- you know, evangelist. They walk away totally converted and they feel and they tell five other people that this is why you should come here because of all the things I learned. I didn't want to compromise that and I didn't want to do damage to that. So I was in the position of saying, let's not do it. Let's just cancel the whole thing. And to my credit, to the credit of my team, Maddie, championing and Mary Kirkman championing they were like nope we can do this we can do this we got this and I was I was sitting there going, Man. so I, we went to the to our executive teams you know they made the pitch and said let's do it we can do this in six weeks and uh, so fingers crossed jumped right into it but the number of technical hurdles, the number of planning hurdles um, everything has to be rethought because all the assumptions you made about even things like VIP, you know, the way you treat a VIP. We had a very specific VIP guest experience in mind. Yeah. Maddie and the team had to rethink what is a VIP guest experience look like in a virtual environment? How do you, these VIP speakers, these conference? how do we treat, how do we, you know, engage them? And then of course there's the technical challenges, which is, okay, now we've got live, you know, video broadcast with production, uh, you know, production and content creation very specific presentations, and you're now bringing in multiple speakers. How do we make sure this is all production grade, high quality, done uh, without you know having a compromised outcome? So lots of lots of hurdles there to go manage through
0: for sure. in in a live event, people go to the restroom. there's There's breaks between sessions. there the The physical environment gives a flow and a dynamic and an experience that you know you were shooting for. When it's virtual, it's second by second by second. There the the cuts. I remember, I don't know if you saw it, but uh, Elton John was a host of, I think it was iHeart. They did a music uh, event when the pandemic was started. I feel like it was like the March, mm. April timeframe. And it was like a one-hour special. And they had some incredible artists all performing from their home. And they stitched it all together. And you could tell it was I want to say you could tell it was recorded because of the lighting of the environment they were in and when the show was, you know, like, well, it's it's not, you know, sunny out in Atlanta right now. But it felt so authentic, so real, and the flow was amazing. And those artists had never done that before, but someone had to figure out lighting and audio quality, and they're musicians, so... You know, you had to use certain systems for music to be able to be uh, transmitted, and you had to guys go through that. You you said, uh, Merle and Maddie, a big part of your focus was to create experience, and that's mm-hmm. what so many people want from a conference is the networking and the experience as well as the content. But, like, good content like table stakes. Um, it's so important. But how did you do it? So what was the recipe for creating this uh, experience and what were some of the unique things that you did that that other folks listening in might go, hmm, we did some virtual events, but we didn't do that stuff. Maybe we should think about that for the for the next one.
1: Well, we really th- tried to think about, you know, in especially with, you know, everyone being at home and in the new kind of the new normal, how we going to engage people. And we really wanted to have, what was going to be different about why should they should tune into our event for, we did four hours on one day and four hours on the next day. Um, so we kind of split it up into two days um, based on, you know, some industry data about engagement. But they, um, we, why were they tuning in versus, you know, we had seen a lot of people go virtual and just have kind of some flat on-demand content. um, And there wasn't that aspect of like, they felt like they had to be there, they were going to miss something. And we wanted to make that experience where they felt like they had to be there in that moment, or they were going to miss it and not get the same experience if they consumed it on demand. So I think that kind of drove a lot of our decisions. Um, We kind of looked at it with that lens, like when someone's in the platform, and they're logged in, we want to keep them there and they're going to attend, you know, Dave's keynote and our product announcement, but how do we keep them engaged in those breaks or between sessions? And how do we keep them in our, in that community, in our science logic community, with our partners, with our engineers, with our salespeople? And so that kind of drove a lot of our decisions, um, which led us to do, we did some networking lounges within the virtual platform to allow people to engage with our science logic team. I think Also, a big thing during the event is that we did a lot of training with our ScienceLogic staff on how to engage in the platform with the attendees. And I think that really went a long way because the attendees noticed how many ScienceLogic people were there. And it really drove this feeling of being in a community, that you were getting something out of being there live. Um, We also had um, the majority of our sessions did live Q&A. So even some of the sessions that we pre-recorded, we we presented, um, those presenters came on at the end for live live video Q&A. So I think that drove a lot more engagement um, uh, as opposed to just consuming on-demand content. People really were tuning in to the sessions at the times that that, that we uh-huh. had and then they were engaging and chatting um in in those you know kind of free spaces as well yeah
2: there's on the experience front we this is something that i think maddie and and, and the team were very we want we mixed it up between live live, and on demand so what what we saw was that if you went all on demand it felt like you were attending a webinar and we didn't right. want that webinar feel right yeah. and we didn't want people to say i could tune in whenever I have time and never get back to it, right? And we wanted people in the platform interacting, engaging, and so forth. How do you force that? So we went. We bet on this idea of certain sessions, high-value sessions, should be done live, like our CEO's keynote, our chief product officer's keynote, maybe a major customer um, keynote should be done live. And those we selected as live. But then we did simulive for those who are maybe customer, you know, customer presentations and product manager presentations, high value, but doesn't need to be. Ex, you know fully live, but we would have them come back in for the q and a afterwards uh, so that so the customer so that anybody attending the users can actually engage with them and then we kept a reserve of a dozen you know maybe ten or so on demand sessions so people can tune in at their own time and leisure right That mix really made a difference, David, in that it felt like a real conference because of that, otherwise it would have felt like a on demand webinar and so forth. And then the other aspect I thought was really important is what we call logician's corner logicians mm-hmm. are science logicians. These are our employees. These are the engineers, the product managers, building and designing. We created We this has been the highlight of why people come to our conferences because we have these kiosks in a physical sort of an environment. You have all these kiosks that people users go to. They take talk to the product manager or the expert in that field. How do you replicate that in a virtual environment? And And what we ended up doing was had a logicians corner section where we had 22 virtual booths or sorry 16, 16. virtual booths virtual booths and these virtual booths were where customers and users went to to get engaged with the product manager and then the product manager was able to either communicate via chat what the questions were offer a video offer some assets for them to learn about more about that product capability and then open up a virtual let's say a, a teams chat Where they can demo the product to that particular user, showing them the feature that they're particularly interested in. And so it was sort of, it was this hybrid type of experience using virtual environments like Teams to be able to do those, you know, where you jump off, but you didn't want them to leave the entire conference or you didn't want them to leave the platform. So we had to work to keep them within the platform, but give them opportunities to go and engage in a ways that was really meaningful and one on one, if you would.
0: It's it's um, it's impressive from a logistics standpoint to pull all that off. I mean, for you and I appreciate your candor, merely really saying six weeks like I'm out. Let's let's cancel the whole event, <laughs> yes. like we're done. And then you know your team being there to kind of help lift you up and lift yeah. your confidence and go, no, nope, the show must go on. And then it didn't just go on, but you you adapted and brought these novel approaches. People love that that interaction. Let me ask you on the videos, the live part did you have to do any coaching? Like right now, the three of us see each other and we've all kind of gotten used to being anchormen and and women, you know, like we're used to cameras all the time, uh, all day long, maybe for some people it's too much. But prior to this, I don't think a lot of people were on video uh, and and used to regularly engaging with a lens and engaging with people on the other side of that. We get to see each other in your conference. You, I imagine they couldn't see the audience. So they couldn't right. get any energy which a, a speaker normally feels and sees. They see that head nodder in the front row. They see the the person who seems really engaged. They can tell when the audience is receptive to their content. All of that was invisible. And so did you have to do anything or any learnings from that, what you might do uh, in the future for the people delivering content that now have this new medium uh, to do it in?
1: Yeah, so we, um, yeah, that was a huge um a hurdle for some of our speakers too, who aren't used to presenting that way, um, and not having the audience is really hard when you're used to being up on a stage and engaging. Um, was, you know, some of our keynote presenters I think had a harder time with that. Some of our, you know, what we concurrent session presenters that were demoing and things like that, they I think were a little a little bit more used to do, doing a presentation from from their home office or from a, a webcam. But it was still, um, we did. Multiple layers of rehearsals. And this was another challenge that we had because of the time, the condensed timeline. Typically, you can build a presentation and then do a rehearsal on site and then you're good to go. But all the content had to be done like two weeks in advance. So not only were we like trying to turn this around in switch to virtual in six weeks, we also had to condense the timeline for presentations to be built so that we could do additional rehearsals and then do the recordings prior to us, you know, having the live event. So, um, it did, um, create a little bit more pressure on some of the presenters to get that stuff done earlier. Um, but we did have to do multiple layers of rehearsals and we, we had to, you know, do a lot of tests where we would look at them and say, Hey, you're not looking at the camera. You have to start over with some of the live." And we did a lot of, we did a lot of rehearsals for the people that went just straight live <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: um, so that they could get some feedback on what they look like and get familiar with the platform so that they could feel comfortable presenting. Um, you know, I think You know, doing it, if doing it again, I think I would probably prefer for all of our presenters to stand when they were presenting. If they had the kit, that was hard because we were presenting from their home offices and some people had to sit down because of their setups and where their webcam was. Um, If we had had the time, we probably would have shipped everybody a really high level webcam that they could put anywhere <laughs> um, so that they could stand up and more and have it be more, I think people, when they were seated, just, it had a harder, the people that were seated had a harder time, you know, with the engagement and the energy. Um, but overall, I think, um, you know, everyone did the rehearsals really paid off because, you know, from, from the first one to the, some of the live sessions, I think there was a, a big improvement, but it definitely was something that our speakers had to get used to.
2: Yeah. One, one other point is, um, you know, the, it's, it's, um, it, it's often under, uh, undervalued the amount of effort that one has to put into building great content, especially as a marketing organization. Um, our customers, our users are not marketing people. They don't know how to create presentations. They don't know how to tell stories, right? They're not storytellers. They're like, okay, here's how I use the product. Here's the, you know, here's, and it's almost an engineering level talk. Mm-hmm. And how do you get these people to can be great communicators? And that's it starts with being able to help them build presentation decks that can extract the true business relevance, the outcome, the impact that they had on the organization while talking about the technology as an enabler, right? And being able to do that as an art as as well as a science because you have to be able to deal with the the customer or the user at a technical level to be able to understand what they're doing and translate that into a business value proposition and then help them sort of see the story arc in there what they've done and feel comfortable and let them make it their own so they don't feel like it's your story that they're trying to tell it's their story right Right. and so that there's a there's a tremendous amount of work that the product marketing organization has to do to make that happen and so the amount of hours that our product marketing spent with customers you know with these speakers to get that content prepared is why the is is a huge part of why the the event was successful because if you don't have great content david i don't care how good the experience is in terms of Platform and the all the all the elements of logistics and management, but if the core value of why you're coming here is not well constructed, it's for not right. Yeah, and so it starts absolutely. with that. Then the second part is the how do you coach these people to be good communicators? So that, which again, they're engineers; they're not designed to. I mean, they're not you know by definition, um, it's orators and and spokespeople. So they have to feel comfortable, and then you throw in the whole you know, do it from your home, webcams here, you know, no audience. And it's just like, oh, my God, hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. Yeah. But but that's that's the that's the issues you have to deal with to make it successful.
0: And and you guys did. It was successful. You showed me the, the numbers the other day um, to see that people were engaging you mentioned, you know, Maddie, two day event. They didn't just come around for day one, but they were there for day two. They didn't just attend the keynote sessions, but they attended a significant number of the the breakout sessions and other content. Were you surprised by this type of engagement and and results? And what do you think led to it?
1: So yeah, I, I was very surprised. <laughs> um, we were. That was, I think, the thing that kept me up at night the most leading up to the event is once people log in, how long are they going to stay? <laughs> are they going to stay for all the sessions? Is it, you know, I, I was really worried about that because, you know, we've never done anything like this as an organization. Um, we also weren't sure with everyone being at home with their kids and distractions and other things going on, how engaged people were, you know, how how much were people really going to sit and listen um, to what we had. So yeah, we were very pleasantly surprised. Um, I think our registration numbers, we ended up, you know, it was like, 400 percent higher um, than last year for our in-person event um, we had a ton of um, people register which you know we saw in the in, in the last couple of weeks I mean that's for a lot of factors it's easier to attend a virtual event we were able to reach more people from the organization our customer organizations because everyone could attend it there were no you know there was no issues with people traveling so um, we knew registrations were going to be higher we just didn't know they were going to be so much higher um, and then to have the really high percentage you know actually log in on the day was was great and to come back on day two um i think we had about 60 percent of those people in the platform um uh, engaged for um six six hours and up so i mean that's huge for an event that was basically eight hours over two days so uh, yeah yeah
2: if you look at if you look at the numbers just by raw we had um over you know 1500 people register we had 1,100 actually show up of the 1,500 registered. This was a 5X improvement from the previous year, right? And the reason why it was, and we were trying to to figure this out. We were at the beginning, David, my expectation was, hey, if we can get, Four hundred people, three hundred people to show up. I'd be happy. Let's just call it a day, right? Because this is, you know, everyone is in a state of flux, and nobody yeah. knows what to expect. And when we saw these numbers come through, I just couldn't believe it. I thought I was like, are science logic people being counted in this number? <laughs> What's yeah. going on? She's like, no, no, no. This is just this is just uh, our, our our users, and uh, and so that was really encouraging. But the engagement, like Maddie was saying, sixty almost seventy percent were in the platform. You know, if you look at the numbers, more than ten hours, right? More than ten—that's the number that I have on on the summary here. And and to keep the person there for over two days, over ten hours, and have seven hundred people out of that thousand stay there is is particularly uh, encouraging. And and what I think the 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 point is here is that it's it's a we would have never been able. The reason why we got these numbers is because. You can't get all these people from around the world to travel. You could, even in the best of times, David, you can't get them to get the budgets. And because every organization, let's say a major organization, there's maybe 15 people you want to touch in that enterprise. Or if it's a a managed service provider, there may be 50 people you want to touch. Can you get all 50 people to your user conference? It's impossible. I mean, nobody's going to sign off for that. But can they be part of a virtual conference? Absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. And because it's a low cost, no cost kind of a method. So what we learned is this is really interesting because we would have never our salespeople's feedback was we would have never been able to reach all these people, even if we had the most incredible symposium in normal t- in normal times, you've actually showed us a way to touch more people and get create more influence at the customer at the at the organization than than anything we would have achieved in normal times, which is really surprising. But in in hindsight, it makes sense.
0: Right. Absolutely. Let, let's cover two more areas. One is pricing. Um, there's a lot of conferences that you go to where, where you're you're charged uh, to attend. Uh, which certainly gets the attendees skin in the game, especially if if the the fee is offset by expenses like food and and other things. Um, so that's one area I'd like to hear your thoughts about. You know, do should we be charging for virtual events, and how do you charge uh, for virtual events? The other one is about sponsor participation, right? So a big part of of events is getting your ecosystem of of partners involved uh, at events these days. Uh, there's an expo area. Sometimes there's sponsored uh, sessions where where a session is being put on by either a client case study or the uh, a sponsors doing their own session. How do you how do you address or your thoughts in in those two areas about uh, it? It admittance fees for uh, virtual events and and sponsor participation.
1: Um, so for this year, we didn't charge for our virtual event. We typically have a fee to attend symposium, um, but we we kind of, ref- when we went virtual, refunded everybody and decided not to charge just given the circumstances. Um, and I think, um, you know, looking down the road, um, you know, we are looking to still hopefully have an in-person event in 2021 and incorporate some of the things we've learned from the virtual into that in-person event as well. So, I mean, I think that's something we need, you know, need to talk about, but there's not as, you don't, uh, you know, for the virtual side, I think part of the reason our registration numbers were so high too is there was no Barrier for attendance. People didn't have to pay. They didn't have to get it approved. I think that sometimes is a lot of the, the issue with having um, people pay to attend conferences is getting the internal approvals and things like that, regardless of how high the fee is. Um, so I think you know, I think going forward for doing a virtual conference, we likely would not charge. Um, but you know, I think that's an ongoing discussion for how our our. Our virtual event is, um, you know, our hybrid event is going going forward. I think for sponsors, we did have sponsors. We had eight sponsors that were previously signed up for our conference who were paying to sponsor. Um, and we, again, we refunded them and they were attended, um, they were they were able to sponsor virtually. Um, we really weren't sure exactly, again, what they were going to get out of it. So we didn't really feel comfortable asking them to pay the same thing they were going to pay for an in-person event. So, um, you know, I think going forward, there are some opportunities for us to have sponsors for virtual events and charge them based on, you know, we have now have metrics and um, data where we can share with them, you know, what they can expect from sponsoring a virtual event with us. Um, And there's some interesting things we could do too with some of our in-person sponsors, um, you know, for next year. Our sponsors uh, had great feedback from this year. They really liked being able to be part of the community. I think it added to that community aspect that we were trying to, um, that was, we were trying to get across. So I think they really liked being a part of it. Um, They liked the ability to engage with attendees um, and still, you know, potentially collect some leads and then, um, you know, it keeps them engaged with us for the future, you know, and sponsoring our in-person events in the future.
2: Nice. Also on the, you know, if you think about from a budget perspective, there's a very significant, you know, budget offset, you know, when you go virtual, right? So for example, uh, we would, we are, I think our final tallies are, a virtual event is about 25% of the cost of a f- full physical event. And if you can operate at a 25% cost basis, David, you can do a lot of you can take take off the overhead of getting people to pay for events. Cuz ultimately I don't want to charge someone to attend my user conference. I really don't, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Especially if you're my user. That's the last thing I want to do. I want to make it easy for you to be able to get and be part of our community because it pays dividends in the way that you become an evangelist. You understand our product proposition. You understand you meet peers. You understand use cases, how people are solving problems. Those are all things you're going to take back and you're going to use our product more. But I can't offset a Ritz-Carlton cost structure, right? And, right. and, and absorb it all unless you're you know unless you're maybe a, a very big profitable company that has just got lots of cash. Um, so in this model it was really interesting because we were able to give it away for free because it was such a, at a such a cost basis that I could absorb. Now going forward, it poses some very interesting questions as to how much of it is virtual, how much of it is physical because if you ask me then the argument is why not do everything virtual? Then why would you need a physical? And I think Maddie and I would be the first ones to tell you uh, you can't replace the the value of a physical, right? right? Because that relationships, that human interaction, and that ability to sit across the table and can make connections. There is, and, and one of the Achilles' heels of a virtual platform is the is the lounges. It's that in that interaction of communities. As much as we talk about it, we made the best out of it. Let me tell you, but. It was not an ideal environment to create those communications that were that you would have sitting around having a coffee with with your partner or your customer or your your uh, uh, prospect. So that is where we still struggle on virtual environments. But yet the cost structure now has to look into what's the value of getting people in on site, and maybe you know the model becomes where you try to get the the economic buyers or you get some sort of a lead architect or a lead, you know, let's say technical sort of person who's on site, but then you allow the users that are more the administrator levels to get access virtually. And that's where we have to play some games in terms of how do you find the right mix going forward where you take the best of both worlds.
0: So some really great takeaways, challenges in, in the in the new normal, because I, I think you said next year the plan is, or at least the direction you're heading is to do a hybrid event, right? It, assuming the environment presents itself to enable us to be back together again in large group environments, you're going to do a physical event, but then extend it into a virtual component uh, to capture that global audience that you got that you wouldn't have achieved if you had just stayed down the path of of the physical event. So that's the plan for next year?
1: Yeah, right now mm-hmm. we're planning to have a, a hybrid event in person and virtual. Um, yeah, cause I think, you know, with the international attendance, like this year, 50%, almost 50% of our audience was international or outside of North America. Um, and, and when we've, our previous years just having an in-person event, I think it was maybe 15%. And that might be a little high. I think it's probably, and that was mainly from EMEA. So yeah. I think, um, you know, we still, we, we want to capture that same audience. And again, like Marley was saying, there's just a reality that not, Everyone from every customer that we have is going to be able to attend in person. So we have to try to be more creative and getting, a broader group engaged uh, on the virtual platform while still having a really great experience on site as well. And it's almost yeah. like building two conferences <laughs> at the same time, because you want to make sure the experience in the virtual environment isn't an afterthought. You want to make sure it is just as important and those people feel just as special as the people that are there on site meeting you face to face. So there's a lot of that as we look towards that event next spring, um, th- that's kind of how we're how we're looking at it.
0: Yeah. I th- I think my last event, no I know it was, the last conference that I was at was the B2BMX conference in Arizona and I was with uh folks from the team there. We had dinner together and it was uh it was nice. It was enjoyable. Uh and as you said, you 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 can't replace that. You know, we were having dinner with clients. Uh you can't replace that experience. Uh and At that conference, they had a Genius Bar, and they asked me to be at the Genius Bar and staff that for a couple hours each day, which I did. And I literally thought when I would get there that I would just be sitting at this table and no one would ever come up uh, or book an appointment. But I was booked nonstop, in fact- even though there was booked appointments, there were people wanted to meet. And the fact that you guys had this, these virtual kiosks where your product leads uh, can meet with people and have those intimate conversations, um, it's a really, really great uh, mix. So some really good ideas from you guys. One is is make sure your audience uh, presenters are really going to be prepared for delivering their content in a virtual environment. Um, I will share with you, Maddie. by the way, I put together, well, our marketing team put together... A two-page document for folks that I have on Demand Gen TV, so it covers all the equipment and logistics and and things to keep in mind. So I'll Share it with you, it might spring uh, some ideas for for next year because we're right just like you ran into Merley with uh, hey um, the podcast software doesn't work with uh, with Safari when I'm doing I'm recording an episode in, in ten minutes after this uh, for Demand Gen TV on our YouTube channel and I need to make sure like. The camera's ready, the lighting's ready, the audio's ready, everything's good to go because otherwise we'll just keep rescheduling things all the time. So a lot of technical challenges. I'll tell you one thing that you guys are going to have to probably prepare for, all marketers prepare for, if things, if rumors are true, and that is we're going to see one of the major technology companies, uh, that being Apple, release their augmented reality goggles uh, called Apple Glass later this year or early in 2021. And for all of us that try to create these incredible experiences, If in fact, a lot of people start showing up to conferences with augmented reality glasses, are we going to adapt those environments to take advantage of that as we're going to see absolutely in retail? So if you needed something to worry about, Merle, uh, there's I new can barely,
2: I can barely get my browser to function
0: properly. <laughs> <laughs> you, you heard it here first. It's coming and, and people are going to think about how do we adapt our conferences and the experience there? Maybe Easter egg hunts, you know, with these augmented reality glasses. Who knows? We'll, we'll see. But kudos to you guys and the team. And uh, I want to also just say thanks so much For the partnership and collaboration with with my team, we have not sent more emails than we have this year. uh, Among other things for our clients, it's just from everything from COVID uh, email campaigns to what's happening right now, and and, in you know civil unrest to virtual events and all the normal demand generation. You guys, it's interesting. We all thought kind of like, what would this be like? I don't think marketing teams have ever worked harder and they've had to work in the first half of the year. And and Maddie, kudos to you and the crew for pulling off such a great uh, event. So uh, good luck in your planning for next year. Uh, We'll be doing a lot of stuff in between now and then. And nice I just, favorite. uh, yeah, absolutely. So take a breather. Enjoy. For, for, for the three of us, we're heading into a weekend. Uh, so, <laughs> so, uh, I don't know what you have planned, Maddie. You said not too much, maybe a little time in the dining room this, this weekend. We'll see.
1: Yeah. Maybe <laughs> mix, the terrace, you, you know, mix yeah. it up.
0: <laughs> yep. All right. And Hey, for all of you listening, you heard me mention Dimension TV. Um, we haven't officially launched our channel, so don't expect Tons of content, but get an early inside view. We are producing, you know, my commitment to education for all of you is to take folks like Murley and Maddie and share their experiences in driving demand and growth. But podcasts lack one thing, and that is the ability to do show and tell. So we are producing videos on our YouTube channel. If you search for Demand Gen, you'll find our channel. And every week we are releasing uh, short videos on uh, how to do things from lead scoring inside of your marketing automation system and CRM to featuring some of the top marketing technologies that are out there that you may or may not be using. So hit your browser to or your mobile to uh, YouTube and search for Demand Gen and check out the videos. I'd love to hear from you guys what you're doing uh, because... My passion for education is finding any channel, uh, whether it's virtual or whether it's live, as these guys talked about. For me, uh, right now these days, it's it's virtual, and I like to be with you anytime, any day. So take me with you. Thanks for tuning in to Demand Gen Radio, and uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Take care.